All right. What you just heard was John Barry's orchestra playing On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the main title uh, for On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Ordinarily, I only play about 20 seconds of a clip uh, for the purpose of this show. However, today, this being a special episode, a one-off, as far as James Bonds go, that was a one-off as far as me playing the full song until I do another. (laughs) I make no money off of this podcast. There is no ad supporting, no money changed hands. Uh, If the estate of John Barry uh, or anyone else would like me to remove this from the episode, uh, and it's not there when you listen to that, I'm sorry. That's how business works. We respect the artist. (laughs) Anyhow. So, uh, this week we're talking about a very special James Bond movie in that it is... uh, as of right now, the only one of its like. Yeah. So, just before we get into any history, anything like that, what did you think of this James Bond movie? I've got to think back, um, think back to it and remember some of the things. I actually kind of enjoyed this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I know I, I told you, um, like I felt like this this actor was better looking than those weren't your words. He was hot. Yeah, you yeah. said he was hotter than Sean Connery. Yes, that's what I said. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> and that got a good laugh out of me. Yes. Um, anyway, but I actually, I liked it. I didn't feel like, you know, there was still the sexism and stuff, but it wasn't as bad. Oh, he for sure isn't as rapey as Sean yeah. Connery. Uh, the impression I, I did earlier today was... Uh, uh, well, dear, are you interested? Uh, no, Miss Mr. Bond, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. Get in the closet. And uh, and the power dynamic was always this man in power overpowering the, the woman in the mm-hmm. scene to have his way physically. And he treated them so disdainfully. Yeah. Like, he didn't even enjoy it. Like, he was literally... Like he was literally just having sex with them out of hate. Yeah. And it's very cold. It's very bitter. Sadly, it's probably very accurate to the way Ian Fleming viewed women. It's very uh, similar to the way the character of James Bond in the early novels views women. He is not a good guy. Right. Uh, Neither Bond nor Fleming. But, um, that comes off, and it's very off-putting uh, yeah. as a as a viewer in 2020. It's very off-putting to see that characterization. Whereas George DeLazenby uh, is kind of a scummy dude. Um, yeah, he, the power dynamic with the women in in his trysts in this in this movie it seems more level. Uh, the playing yeah. field definitely feels more level. And he also seems to actually enjoy the women that yeah. he is cavorting with, as opposed to um, them being objects. They, right. They, I felt that. I felt that, you know, I still didn't necessarily appreciate the way he treats women all the time. But oh, he's I a, did. He is yeah. a dirt. Oh, absolutely. But I did feel that he actually likes them, where 
yeah. the Sean Connery James James Bond like Sean Connery he would, does not like women. And Sean Connery Bond would rather make love to a bottle of Smirnoff vodka than yes. to a woman. Um, but uh, enough of that. You've gotten <laughs> enough of that in the past few episodes. Yes. Um, this episode is uh, episode. This movie is is very different um, in that. This is the only movie you're going to see Lazenby as Bond. Yeah. Um, unless you count, there's a weird movie that came out in the 1980s uh, where John Stamos plays uh, the son of a famous secret agent. Um, and it's kind of a James Bond type movie. Uh, and he's trying to find his dad, who is played by George Lazenby. Huh. Interesting. Um, but uh, Lazenby was only Bond once. We'll talk a little bit more about it as we go into the episode. But uh, it's a really weird story. Connery left. Uh, he had one movie left on his contract. There was a falling out with the producers. And, and he leaves. Um, and so they're, they're going to bring in a new director uh, to direct kind of a different type of James Bond movie. It's going to be smaller in scale. It's going to be more character driven. And out of nowhere, excuse me, we just ate. I apologize. <laughs> we usually try not to eat so close to recording, but it happened tonight. Um, uh, this guy comes out of nowhere, almost literally, um, and plays James Bond, does it for one movie, and then quits. And, and walks away. Um, there is a really good docudrama on Hulu um, called Becoming Bond. Fair warning, it is very R-rated in content. Um, it has all sorts of sex and, and nudity and, and stuff like, and like a no-censor uh, docudrama would have. But... Uh, the framing device of the docudrama is it is actually George Lazenby uh, circa 2015-2016 sitting down with the documentary crew and telling his story. And then it's acted out by actors as the uh, as the movie progresses. So kind of like drunk history. Simil <laughs> similar, actually. Um, but the story that he tells in that is that effectively he was um, he was a young man uh, growing up, uh, and he had two loves: cars and women, um, and wanted to uh, have an adventurous life and have lots of sex, and that's what he wanted out of life. And he was taking a girl on a date. And they went and saw a James Bond movie. Um, I think it was either from Russia with Love or Goldfinger. Um, and he knew that that's what he wanted to do. So he was working as a car salesman after working in a garage. Went from working as a car salesman to being a model. Okay. Found out that they're trying to get a new James Bond. Sneaks into the James Bond producer's office <laughs> and says, I'm the new James Bond. 
lies about being an actor in other countries that uh, they wouldn't be able to verify that he had no filmography. Wow. Gets brought into the executive producer and says, hey, man, tell me your life story and breaks down and says, I'm sorry, I've been making this whole thing up. The producer busts out laughing and said, you were doing great. He goes, I'll tell you what, keep lying. And so he goes into this movie, shoots the movie. And you can you can tell if you look closely at the movie, he is the weakest performer in the film. He is he is the weakest actor um, because he's never acted before. Yeah. Um, and he did a pretty good job <laughs> for, for never acting before. He does a phenomenal job. Yeah. Um, but uh, the movie's shot and in the can. They're getting ready to work on the next one. Because at this point, James Bond movies had been coming out one a year. At this point, it had skipped a couple of years. They're they're getting ready. They're like, all right, we're going to be back, back into churning out James Bond movies. He gets wind through a buddy of his because at the time, very big into drugs, sex, free love, everything, late 60s. And he finds out oh man uh, james bond that's a snooze fest he goes the future is in like uh independent films and stuff like <laughs> uh uh easy rider and and things like that and he's like oh, i want to go where the popular people are and so so like if his friend said that yes ah so he goes to the james bond premiere with a full beard um which was like a no-no because it disconnects him from the role of James Bond yeah. uh, for the public. And then basically just says, I'm done and quits and walks away. Because he thought he'd do better. Yes. And if, if you follow George Lazenby's career, he's done little things here and there as an actor. Uh, most famously for me, he played uh, in the 1988 to 1992 uh, TV series Superboy, he played Jarrell's uh, Clark Kent's biological father. Um, but he's never done anything as big as Bond. Yeah. I mean, and if he would have continued Bond a few, at least a few more times, he probably would have been a much bigger name. He probably would have been. Uh, the interesting thing is, one, we'll never know. But two... Yeah. It's almost, as I watched that documentary, Becoming Bond, um, it's very sad. Every every bit of his story is sad because he pursues this hedonistic mm -hmm. just pursuit of pleasure and fame. And he comes off, even now, just as wistful. I mean, mm -hmm. he brags about the women he slept with or the things he accomplished. And then there's this wistfulness behind his voice that it's hollow. There's yeah. like, he, he talks about the girl that got away. He talks about all this stuff that because he was pursuing fame and the good life, it just, it never hit. And it's very interesting. It's, it's very, if you can handle the, uh, the more objectionable material. It's an interesting watch. Uh, if you can't, I highly recommend you look up some books um, or, or even Lazenby's uh, biography and just read it. It is fascinating stuff. This guy is a character and a half, Yeah. but it's a fascinating story. Um, it's 
it's Sorry. right up there with the story of of the movie itself. Now, the movie itself, more backstory. So originally, this is the second part in the Spectre trilogy. The movie that we watched last week, You Only Live Twice, is the grand conclusion of the Spectre trilogy. Yeah. Uh, the first movie, or the first book, is Thunderball. And it's this introduction of the shadow organization of Spectre and uh, the shadowy character of Blofeld that Bond doesn't meet. He's, he's the... He's the puppet master. He's the one pulling all the strings. The the one that's, uh, as we'll get to in several weeks, uh, he is the author of all James Bond's sorrows. Uh, in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Bond's got a, a trail to follow, and he's trying to track this guy down and tracks down Blofeld. In the meantime, he's fallen in love with this woman, as we will talk about in today's plot. Uh falls in love with her, marries her, mm -hmm. and she is brutally murdered by the uh, the villain, Blofeld, and his uh, henchwoman, uh, Irma Bunt. Uh, and uh, You Only Live Twice is him hunting them down and exacting his revenge. And the end of uh, You Only Live Twice is in a, in a Japanese castle that's on fire. He strangles the life out of the two of them. Um, before losing his own memory. And it's it's this grand, just epic, visceral journey for this man who has been so awful towards women. And there's actually some character development and growth for the character that at the end of the trilogy, in all honesty, is kind of erased. But one of the things that's refreshing about the movie take, because things fall out of order, is this is in the same way that this is the only Bond film with Lazenby, this is the only Bond film with a downer ending. This is the only Bond film that we get to the end of it and it doesn't have a hopeful note. Right. Uh, we'll get to uh, Daniel Craig's first Bond movie uh, right about end of October, early November. And when we get to uh, that movie, Casino Royale, it ends with a sad moment that is immediately followed up with, by a triumphant, like, this is who I am, uh, affirmation. And so it, it ends with a note of hope, with an, uh, a note of this is good. Whereas this movie ends and Bond is weeping over the corpse of his bride. Yeah. And it's, it is I mean, weird. She's still in their wedding clothes. And yes. It's like, yeah, I cried. <laughs> no, it's, it's a powerful moment. Sadly, Lazenby's performance isn't quite up to snuff, but yeah. the writing and direction of this movie, right off the bat, before we get into the plot, uh, and we'll we'll have to have a transition because I'm gushing over this movie <laughs> and the backstory of it, um, is so so good. Yeah, this is unquestionably. For me, as of right now, in the Bond movies we have watched up to this point, uh, the best James Bond movie. And that's absurd. It's absurd. For ages, everyone argued who the best Bond was. Uh, and, and Connery came out on top every time. Yeah. And I look at, at the past few weeks, and if you're looking for the closest to the books um maybe 
if you're looking for the best overall film though as far as character arcs as far as action as far as cinematography um i gotta be honest this one's right up there and i'm proud to say uh you only live twice really good uh this one that we're watching this week uh honor majesty's secret service phenomenal uh i want to set expectations even before we get to the plot of this film Everything is so great in this movie that next week's movie is not just a step down. It's not even a hop down. Is it jumping off a cliff down? Oh my gosh, you are cliff diving. Wait a minute, is this the one that I was watching with you that one time and it was just... Oh no. Okay. This one's worse. <laughs> oh no. This movie begins with James Bond strangling a woman with her own, bi- own bikini top. It is so bad. It is hilarious. Wow. Um, Which one am I thinking of? uh, You're thinking of Pierce Brosnan's uh, Die Another Day. And that one is bonkers as well. Yes. But somehow the bad James Bond movies, the really bad ones, are almost better than the mediocre ones. Because there's something to laugh at. Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to take a quick break just to grab some water uh, and go to the bathroom. I suggest you do the same. Because when we get back, we're all in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. All right. So we begin, as all great movies should, with a synthesizer version of the James Bond theme. All right. Yeah, I think, I'm not certain, but I'm pretty sure that this is the first Bond movie to use synthesizer to any large effect uh, with the instrumentals. Um, So this is a new rendition of the Bond theme with a new Bond. Uh, We only see him in silhouette. Uh, We immediately go to MI6, where we meet Q&M, discussing the newest way of tracking 007, radioactive lint. What's that? I I don't (laughs) think I saw the very beginning of it. Yeah, you were out of the room. All right. So, (laughs) at this point, we see, again, uh, a close-up on uh, George Lazenby's dimpled chin in silhouette as he is driving the new Aston Martin DBS. And man, that's a beautiful car. Uh, if any of you have a spare Aston Martin lying around that you're just looking to get rid of, I don't want to buy it. I just want you to give it to me. Um, (laughs) but, uh, he is pursuing a red Mustang, uh, driven by a beautiful woman played by Diana Rick. Uh, and he follows her to a beach where that beautiful woman tries to drown herself. It's not really clear if she's doing that or just going for a swim, uh, uh-huh. very dramatically. Um, but whatever she is doing, she is just all about the drama. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, uh, James Bond, uh, pulls her from the surf. Uh, she faints in his arms. He smacks her on the face, not like Sean Connery smacks, but, you know, like you're actually trying to wake someone yeah. up. Um, you know, he was trying to stay in character, but he couldn't do it as rough as Connery. Uh, <laughs> and, hey, everybody, it's George Lazenby. That mole, that dimple chin, you'll recognize that face for at least one movie. Um, <laughs> he then proceeds to get into a speed ramped fight scene with two ruffians. 
And it's actually pretty good uh, good action. Uh, the camera is very dynamic during this scene. A um, lot of uh, zoom in, zoom out. It's a lot of cutting on action, uh, which works really well for this movie. It, it's a lot tighter than the action in previous Bond movies that could feel excruciatingly slow uh, in some of the other uh, Connery movies. But uh, as Bond is dispensing of the ruffians, uh, the beautiful woman steals the DBS, uh, drives it away, never to be seen again. Nope, she just drives it to the top of the hill so she can get back into her Mustang. Uh, a significantly cheaper car. Uh, Lazenby then mugs to the camera and says, this never happened to the other fella. And then we go into the beautiful rendition of the Honor Majesty Secret Service title that you heard at the top of the show. Um, during all of this, uh, we see uh, both uh, the flag of England. We see images from the other movies saying, hey, remember the other Bond movies? This is uh, in line with all of those. Uh, this is also formed by the silhouettes uh, of naked ladies because we want this movie to be as sexist as possible. Um my note here is uh, this theme slaps because it does. This is one. Yeah, it's something that I would listen to while I'm driving. It okay. it's, it is toe tappingly good. It is. Um, it's the bomb dizzle. It's the. <laughs> okay. Uh, insert your favorite uh, idiom here. Uh, <laughs> I just like this music slaps. I heard okay. it once. I thought it was cool. I All went right. with it. I've that, not heard that, so that's why it kind of took me off. Usually that. I tweet it. I don't say it because someone like me shouldn't say it. <laughs> so for those of you listening, you got to hear it. For everyone else, you're just going to have to settle for reading it in a tweet. Um, <laughs> anyhow. <laughs> nice. All right. So we then at this point uh, go to a casino. I'm guessing it's in Montenegro or another wonderful country with lots of gambling. Oh, by the way, the Bond producers like to gamble. That will come up in a couple of episodes because it's a problem. Oh. Um, but at this point, uh, Bond is in a not-so-classic tux. Uh, there are so many ruffles on Bond's tux that I'm not sure if he's wearing his tux or my dad's wedding tux. <laughs> Whose tux has more ruffles? You'll have to ask my mom. Uh, I'm posting a picture of Bond. I'll leave it up to her to post a picture of my dad's tux. <laughs> um, but there are so many, so many ruffles. Uh, Bond goes to a table to play Baccarat. At this point, the beautiful woman uh, goes to a table and puts down a bet of 20,000 francs only to lose the hand of Baccarat, which is a kind of steep bet. Uh, and then she has the gall to tell them that she can't pay for it. Well, they're about to rough her up when Bond says he'll pay her debt. Um, it's at this point that she introduces herself to Bond as Contessa Teresa Vincenzo, uh, but her friends call her Tracy. Um, at this point, my note is Diana Rigg is too good for this movie, and she is because she is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. um, she invites Bond back to her room after he bails her out. Uh, there's an attacker waiting. Uh, another good fight. Uh, Bond returns to his room where Tracy is waiting uh, in a bathrobe. Uh, Bond interrogates and actually Sean Connery slaps her. Um, and then after they have uh, a little talk where uh, 
she explains why she's got a death wish, uh, Bond sleeps with her. Yeah. Uh, the next morning, uh, he wakes up and she left. See, the power dynamics switched. Yeah. Because he was the one left alone in the bed. She also left the money that he owed her so that uh, Bond understood that she was not paying her debt with sex. Yeah. Um, Bond is abducted. He is taken to a location where a tiny person, a small person, little person, uh, I don't know the appropriate term for... Little person. Little person. Uh, Janitor is whistling the Goldfinger theme, which means that in the universe of James Bond... Goldfinger actually had a theme. Yeah. So, uh... Or he saw the movie. So you think that Bond was such a terrible secret agent that they actually made a movie out of what he did. (laughs) And he was just as rapey in that version? (laughs) Probably? Okay. I don't know. I was just saying, you know, it is a new movie, so... It wouldn't surprise me. Anyhow, (laughs) Bond knocks... Knocks the three attackers away, uh, steals the knife from one, bowls through a door, lands on one knee, ready to throw a knife, and comes face to face with Draco, a local crime boss. Uh, Throws a knife at the calendar, uh, hits the 14th, Draco says, but today's the 13th. And Bond says he's superstitious. (laughs) He's just a bad aim. Um, Bond finds out from Draco that Tracy has been acting out. Uh, because how dare she have a will of her own as a woman? Uh, Draco wants Bond to become her husband. Uh, Tracy's father. Uh... Oh nope, that's a note from above. Never mind. Uh, Bond is for once the voice of reason, saying that Tracy needs a psychiatrist, not someone who will, in Draco's words, make love to her enough that she will calm down. Because this woman just needs a husband. Yeah, didn't he say, it wasn't his words, if you make love to her enough, she'll fall in love with you? Uh, yeah, the insinuation being that she she needs to pop out babies. That's yeah. the only thing she's good for. I was kind of like, what the heck? That's not how love works. It's the 60s. Sorry, there are some people who think like that. You can find them on Twitter. They're very famous. Anyhow, (laughs) um, moving on before I get disowned from some family groups. Uh, Bond uh, goes to his office and uh, gets fed up with M because he really wants to chase Blofeld, even though he doesn't really have a reason to chase Blofeld. (laughs) He's just a bad guy on the loose, but oh well. Uh, Because... uh, M won't let Bond do it. He decides that he's going to quit from this dinosaur M. He drafts a note of resignation to Money Penny, then goes to his office and reminds us of the previous movies because the themes from those movies play as he pulls out uh, Honey Rider's Knife. uh, He pulls out uh, the Garote from Red Grant in From Russia With Love. He pulls out his rebreather from Thunderball, which was so boring we didn't watch it. Um... (laughs) It's okay. We got the gist of the movie uh, in the opening titles of this movie. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) uh, Bond leaves his office ready to leave MI6 forever, goes in to M uh, to get the approval. M says, "Uh, you are approved, and hands him back the note. 
And as he walks out to Money Penny, uh, Bond finds out that what's been approved is two weeks leave, not a letter of resignation. So uh, at this point, uh, Bond tells Money Penny that she's the best, goes to leave uh, after saying, Whatever would I do without you? Bond leaves, and we hear over the intercom M say, Money Penny, what would I do without you? Yeah. Knowing that he knew full well what was going on, and he's just got a heart of gold. And uh, the ghost of Bernard Lee is looking down on all of us right now, just very British, looking at <laughs> us. So much more proud of any of us than James Bond because he's a pig. <laughs> all right. So, uh, Bond decides to uh, go on to visit uh, Draco and Tracy in an arranged meeting at, I believe, it's Seville, Spain. Uh, they are at a bullfight, uh, which is actually one of the most fair-looking bullfights I've seen <laughs> uh, because the bull actually gets a couple of guys. Yeah. Um, Bond uh, is put in a position where the information on Blofeld is going to be um, kind of held at ransom. Uh, for his relationship with Tracy. Tracy, not wanting to be used, tells her dad, hey, uh, give Bond what he wants or I leave you forever and you never see me again. Draco, being a half-decent human being and wanting to have his daughter around, gives Bond what he wants. Tracy walks away. Uh, Bond pursues her and says, hey, I think you're worthy of pursuit even without intelligence attached. And for one moment, Bond actually seems to have a little bit of a heart. I mean, it's kind of that first stage Grinch heart. It's not yeah. much, um, but for once, he's not thinking with his, his penis. And it's actually very sweet. Um, at this point, Bond and Tracy begin dating uh, while Louis Armstrong's We Have All the Time in the World plays. And uh, it's a all of a sudden a very different film. It's yeah. Uh, we get footage of them horseback riding, which if you look closely, when Bond runs to grab Tracy, he has already filmed the horseback riding scene and he has the dirt and oil marks from the saddle <laughs> on his riding pants as he runs to chase after her. Nice. Um, but uh, it's really weird. Uh, there, there are all these shots of them dating and all of the scenes that happen over this next two minutes uh, while Louis Armstrong scenes happen... Uh, in the course of less than two weeks. Um, and it appears that Bond and Tracy are falling in love. Uh, from this point, uh, Bond goes to get info from a lawyer um, on Blofeld's whereabouts. Blonde, uh, Blonde, Bond uses a portable safe cracker slash Xerox machine uh, and his buddy or lookout uh, to find out what's going on with Blofeld. So, after gaining info on what's going on with Blofeld, Bond goes to M's home, where M is working on butterflies. And Bond, once again, is the know-it-all of the moment and knows everything about butterflies because he's Bond. And yeah. he has to be the smartest person in the room. And I would hate this guy. If I saw him coming, I would walk the other way. Because he always has to be the best at everything and just screw that guy. I, I don't want that guy around. If you're that guy... Humility. Come on, guy. Come on. Yeah. Come on. A little bit of humility. I don't care that you're the best looking. 
I don't care that you drive the best car. I don't care that you get paid the most. I do, and I'm envious, <laughs> and and I want the I want the money and the car and the fame and the looks. But come on, please stop rubbing it in our faces. <laughs> Anyhow, my inferior inferiority complex notwithstanding, we go back to the movie. Uh, at this point, we find out that uh, the heraldry of Blofeld's family uh, is actually nobility. Uh, at this point, Bond goes to meet uh, Hilary Bray, uh, who works in heraldry and actually has the ability to legitimize uh, Blofeld's claim to nobility. Um, we, at this point, are introduced to uh, the Bond motto, Bond motto and later uh, film title, The World is Not Enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we learned that the De Blochons, that's the... the that's the French name for Blofeld, uh, have no earlobes. Uh, and it's up to the Alps we go. Uh, Bond's voice at this point, while he's undercover as Sir Hilary Bray, uh, is dubbed over by the actor who uh, played Hilary Bray. Uh, when uh, George Lazenby went to the premiere, he thought that he had done a spot-on impersonation of the actor, <laughs> not knowing that he had been dubbed. That's hilarious. So at this point, we're introduced to Irma Bunt, uh, who is, uh, she's a handsome lady. Uh, she's, a uh, yeah. Um, we learned that the cover for, uh, Blofeld's lair is that it's an allergy treatment, uh, facility, uh, up at Peace Gloria. Uh, at this point we find that, uh, Bray or Bond, uh, is in a gilded cage. He's sent to his room. He's, uh, secured inside, he is not allowed out uh, unless they want him out. Um, at this point, we're introduced to Telly Savalas as Blofeld, and uh, Telly Savalas is very different than Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance was sinister and kind of creepy. Telly Savalas's Blofeld is physically imposing and threatening and. It's a very different feel uh, for this villain. Um, and honestly, I kind of like Telly Savalas a little better than Donald Pleasance uh, because it's less, he's still the mastermind, but he, I feel like he could take Bond. I, mm-hmm. I feel like Bond is in danger just by being in the same room as Blofeld. Yeah. Um, and it's also in the scene that Bond wears a kilt. Yes, I was trying to understand that. Because, uh, anyhow, <laughs> because of the scene that's coming up, yes, uh, because yes. Bond wears that kilt to meet the ladies being treated because they're all in swinging sixties garb. At this point, we are introduced to one of, uh, maybe two named women, uh, in the scene, uh, Ruby, uh, writes on Bond's thigh with lipstick, um, to give him the not so subtle message that she wants to have sex with him. Yeah. Um, Bond meets Blofeld face to face, and oddly enough, Blofeld doesn't seem to recognize Bond, even though they saw each other face to face in the previous movie. Uh, fun piece of trivia: uh, this may or may not be true. It it is uh, trivia I've heard through the grapevine that one of the original intents in this movie was to explain the new uh, Bond actor away. Have a brief scene where uh, you see. Uh, 007 coming out from under face uh, uh, face uh, reconstruction or something? Yes, just uh, facial reconstruction surgery would 
once again, in the same way that he faked his death in the previous one, uh, he could actually go undercover in this one. Yeah. But Bond is a terrible secret agent and can't keep a secret, so it's just uh, <laughs> Blofeld had temporary amnesia. Anyhow, uh, Bond figures out how to get out of his room after getting shocked, uh, and he goes straight to Ruby, uh, and uh, he sleeps with her for information, because that's what James Bond does. At this point, uh, Bond is interrupted by uh, uh, either an acid trip or the cure. Uh, Blofeld's not really clear on it, but it comes to find out that Blofeld has made stop smoking tapes uh, for everyone and just uh, edited over the stop smoking with the stop being allergic to. And uh, while at this place, all the women uh, only eat the thing that they're allergic to. Um, and there's one poor girl that just gets to eat corn and I feel terrible for her. <laughs> uh, that's not going to be a fun trip to the bathroom in the morning. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry guys, I derailed myself. Anyhow, Bond goes back to his own room where another girl is waiting, uh, and explains that she knows the way out. He sleeps with her because why not? Uh, the next morning, the girls are out curling on the ice. Uh, Blofeld smokes a cigarette in the best way, which is the weirdest way, uh, underhanded. Um, at this point, Bond's friend is captured and apparently sent away. Bond goes to sleep with Ruby and instead instead of meeting the young, vivacious Ruby, meets the not-so-young, not-so-vivacious Irma Bond. And at this point, Bond is knocked unconscious, as is our recording. At this point, Bond, waking up from his slumber, comes face to face with Blofeld. When Blofeld reveals, ha ha, I did know it was you. Uh, I'm not sure when I knew it was you, but I knew it was you. Not right away, but shortly after. Because <laughs> Bond's just got one of those faces. I mean, it looks kind of like the other guys, but, you know, <laughs> if you see me at church but don't remember me, it's okay. I don't remember you either. You're completely forgettable. <laughs> Anyhow, um... So at this point, uh, Blofeld gives the massive villain monologue, as all supervillains are wont to do, and states that he is going to race, ransom the, Nash, the nation's fertility um, because he is using these women's uh, these women's these women as carriers of uh, basically uh, an organism or a, a chemical that's going to uh, stunt the fertility and any living being, whether it is a person, plant, anything. He could literally just snuff out life. Um, and at this point, uh, Bond, thinking his friend got away to give his location, sees his corpse hanging from the mountain. Uh, at this point, Bond escapes uh, via the skylift lines. Uh, he sneaks around in the underside of the facility until he's able to track down the full plot of Blofeld um, that he Blofeld is actually sending these women uh, back into the world uh, with radio transceivers hidden inside compacts which is going to be awkward whenever they lend someone the compact but whatever <laughs> anyhow uh, Bond fights and kills a guard and steals ski, steal skis uh, and at this point we get our first ski chase 
Um, and we get some really cool skiing uh, by the stuntman, followed by <laughs> some not so cool skiing by George Lazenby against rear projection. Um, and it in HD is painfully obvious. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of quick cuts. Um, there's some day for night shots and some, uh, as I said, rear projection. Uh, there's a really cool point where one of Blofeld's henchmen shoots off one of Bond's skis and he's skiing uh, with just one ski on just one foot. Um, and locked into ski boots with a single ski and trying to do something with your legs. I'm scared to death of his free foot getting snagged on something and his ski like just getting snapped like a twig. Oh. Um, it, I, I've been skiing once and torqued my knee. Ah. on a bunny slope i did not know you've been skiing yes um it skiing terrifies me snowboarding yeah. is is something that i i feel a little safer on but skiing terrifies me oh it terrifies me too that's why i've never done it um <laughs> <laughs> but anyway we're lame um so uh getting to a stopping point and a hiding point Bond steals uh, the skis off of a guard that he kills after smacking a couple with uh, his own skis. And we get treated to a wonderful scene of a dummy being dropped off a cliff <laughs> and they follow that sucker all the way down the mountain. You get to see how long it would take you to hit the bottom. And it's a dummy, so you're like, oh, that that's cute. But if you think about how long you would have to fall, it is horrifying. Yeah. Um, at this point, Bond uh, gets to the bottom of the mountain, into the village that he uh, went through on his way up to Peace Gloria. Um, and he is unarmed and alone uh, and terrified. Uh, he actually performs really well during the scene. And there's a real sense of danger. There's real stakes. All these armed men are moving through the crowd. They've got guns. And all any of them has to do is get close enough to stick a gun in Bond's ribs and pull the trigger. No one's going to hear it. Uh, it's loud. It's noisy everywhere. It's Christmas time. Mm -hmm. Oh, by the way, the, this next to Die Hard and Batman Returns is the third best Christmas movie. <laughs> um, and it's slightly more about Christmas than It's Wonderful Life. Um, I will take your comments. Never. Uh, you can keep them to yourself. Um... But uh, Bond sees Tracy uh, out on the ice as he's trying to hide. Um, and she comes up and immediately knows something's just up. And there is, I said before that Diana Rigg is too good for this movie. Yes, but also she makes this movie. Because yeah. there is a moment when she locks eyes with Bond. There is a look on her face that she goes from, I'm happy to see you. Oh my gosh, what's wrong? I'm with you. And it's, it's, there's, I think two lines where she goes, James, what's happening? What do you need? And in that moment, there's a series of facial expressions that she goes through and it's wonderful. Yeah. She is perfect in this role. She immediately takes off her ice skates and they run together to her car. Um, as they're trying to get out of town, they're spotted by one of the guards. Uh, and a car chase happens on icy mountain roads, and I am terrified because one of my three car accidents was on black ice. Uh-huh. Um, at this point, they get down the road to another town where there's a stock car race going on, and they bust in. 
they get into the race and it's like a demolition derby and it's really well shot uh it's actually really good uh chasing uh they manage to tip over the villain's car they all escape before it bursts into flames because they need to exist uh for later action scenes uh they take shelter in a barn from the storm uh and it's actually kind of cool because Snow actually acts on the car and yeah. on the windshield the way Snow acts on her car. Yeah, their windshield wipers like stopped working because the, yep. they're freezing. So in the barn, uh, as they're taking cover, Bond is obviously shaken but smitten by this woman with whom there's more attraction than just this is a sexual object. Yeah. So he takes the next logical step in the relationship and proposes marriage. Yeah. Not, you know, let's, hey, let's be my girlfriend. Hey, let's, yeah. we're getting married. Um, but considering all of his other relationships, this is probably the healthiest relationship he, he's yeah. had. So huzzah. Um, and he tells her, uh, I'm a, uh, my new year's resolution is I'm not going to sleep with you. <laughs> and they, she sleeps in a bunk elevated from him. And then he kicks the leg out from under it and says, but it's not new year's yet. So of course they sleep together. <laughs> uh, and the next day they go ski, uh, skiing, uh, trying to flee from Blofeld. As they're skiing, Blofeld sees that they're in an avalanche area and fires a flare, uh, which is apparently a firework uh, up into the avalanche area and it comes sliding down the mountain. Uh, and they actually get some really good photography of an avalanche uh, that isn't bad. Their miniature work is really good in this. Um, Bond is half buried. Tracy is captured alive. Bond escapes with his life, but knows that he's lost the woman he wants to marry. Um, we get a moment where he is with M discussing what they're going to do. And M says, nothing you were acting without our authority i'm not doing anything so bond goes instead to draco his uh hopefully soon to be father-in-law mm -hmm. um in the meantime blofeld has captured tracy and is trying to seduce her because why not um she's a beautiful woman and your clutches and you're just going to kill her anyway um as Tracy sees the situation around Peace Gloria uh, and starts hearing radio signals going through, uh, she hears her father on the radio and she knows that help is on the way. And so she decides to play along with Blofeld and just bring him along just subtly enough that he's not going to try to rape her, uh, but he is also going to pay her full attention. Yeah. Um, at this moment, a battle breaks out on Peace Gloria, uh, which is actually a location you can visit. Uh, Matt Gorley, one of my favorite podcasters, and his wife, Amanda, went to uh, Peace Gloria on a vacation a couple years back. And you can actually, uh, they've got a whole segment devoted to this film up <laughs> in the Swiss Alps. That'd be cool. uh, and it's fascinating. And when the world reopens, if ever, uh, I would love <laughs> to go visit this place because it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but back to the movie, uh, at this point with the action, uh, where in previous movies, the bond theme is kind of hit or miss when it plays. Uh, I mean, in Dr. No, the first time the bond theme plays in the movie proper, uh, is when he's going to check his messages in this film, there are explosions, helicopters sweeping in, 
uh, Bond is diving, sliding across the ice, taking out gunmen as he breaks in and storms the castle to save his lady love. And it's this epic, epic moment. And it works really, really well as an action movie, as a Bond movie. It just works. Um, after Bond has cleared the area, made sure the Tracy's safe, he collects some intelligence uh, before Draco's men set a bomb to explode in five minutes. Um, Bond finds out where Blofeld's heading and gives chase. Tracy is freaking out because a, bond's a, a bomb is about to go off with her soon-to-be husband, hopefully, inside. And as she's freaking out, her husband, or her husband, her father, knocks her unconscious and says, spare the rod, spoil the child. <laughs> because women are objects. Um, anyhow, at this point, uh, Peace Gloria goes up in flames. Um, and Bond and Blofeld have this cat and mouse kind of chase and fight. And it's really, really suspenseful, but, but good. You know that Bond's going to be okay because he's James Bond. But uh, it the action continues to be heightened until we get to the most ridiculous action piece of this movie, which is the bobsled chase. I don't entirely understand how bobsleds work, mm -hmm. but I'm pretty sure if I get in a bobsled at the top of the hill and I get to speed and you are approximately five seconds behind me, you're not going to catch me. Right. Unless I stop to ask directions. Yeah. Um, needless to say, uh, Bond catches up to Blofeld. They have a big fight. Eventually, Bond gets knocked from his own bobsled, cuts around a corner, and jumps onto Blofeld. They get into a fight that ends climactically with Bond thrusting Blofeld up into a waiting tree branch where Blofeld breaks his neck. And what was it that he said? Uh, oh, he's branching out. He's branching out. Yeah. Hang in there. I thought that was kind of a clever, uh, like, he's branching out. Tree you later. <laughs> Other Arnold Schwarzenegger lines. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> it is actually visceral. A, a lot of the fight scenes in this movie are actually very visceral. I, when I think about this movie, the word visceral comes to mind a lot. Um, after this scene, uh, James and Tracy marry. They have a very lovely wedding. Um, and at the wedding, we see M, we see Q. Uh, Q keeps jabbering at James, and James looks mildly irritated, but he puts <laughs> up with him because he's like, you give me cool stuff. It's all right. Yeah. Um, and uh, Draco tries to give bond uh, a million pounds he told bond earlier if you marry my wife if you if my, you get her to call wife? if you marry my daughter <laughs> if you marry my daughter not my wife uh, it's a messed up situation not quite that messed up yeah. if you marry my daughter i will pay you one million pounds in gold and as he writes the check for bond to to hand to him bond says uh he alludes to Proverbs 31. He goes, uh -huh. she, her worth is worth far more than rubies or your million pounds. And yeah. sticks the check right back in Draco's And he said it's an old proverb. It's an old proverb. <laughs> Not the <laughs> oldest proverb, but one of them. Yeah. Um, and uh, at this point, we look over to Money Penny, and she is just bawling. <laughs> uh, because her and James uh, were never a thing. 
uh, no matter how much he wanted to be. Bond waves at her and he's like, hey, bye. And uh, they get into uh, the DBS, uh, which is covered in flowers. Um, And as they're driving through the mountains, they're waved down and Bond pulls over to pull the flowers off the car. Uh, and he and Tracy have a really cute back and forth um, that's very tragic because a moment later, later a car drives by, driven by Blofeld in a neck brace uh, and being shot at by Irma Bunt. Uh, the car is shot up. Bond jumps in to give chase, but he looks over and his bride is dead, shot through the head. Um, a police officer pulls up to check on them and Bond weeps over his body saying it's quite all right we have all the time in the world yeah and i was it, crying i'm about to cry again just remembering it it is easily the biggest downer ending in james bond history um and honestly one of the most powerful endings uh it's actually a little shocking when a moment later after this downer moment the bond theme plays and it's like okay that reminded me this was a movie which i probably needed right now yeah um but overall this it's a really good movie uh yeah. it might be at least thus far, of, of the older Bond movies, the best Bond movie. Yeah. Um, out of the ones we've seen so far, I I hesitate to give it a rec- any of them a recommendation. I highly recommend this movie. Yeah. Uh, whether it's seeing ridiculous 60s fashion, like his ruffled tux, ask my <laughs> mom about my dad's, um, or uh, it's seeing, uh, honestly, one of the the better spy movies from this time. And it's a one-off. This is a one-off James Bond director. This is a one-off James Bond actor. This is a, a plot of a book completely mm-hmm. out of step with, with how it should have been released. Yeah. Um, and if you're thinking that, man, this is an Empire Strikes Back level movie, you'd be right. However, instead of being followed up by Return of the Jedi, this is followed up by not even episode one, The Phantom Menace. This is followed up by the Star Wars Christmas special. It's bad. It is bad. Uh, I'm letting you know that next week's movie is so bad, I recommend it because it is awful. Um, It is worth watching in a mystery science theater type way. Sean Connery comes back. He has paid $1 million for a movie that he could not care less about. And it shows. And I highly recommend you watch it because not only does this star international superstar Sean Connery, it also stars international superstar Jimmy Dean. Yes, that Jimmy Dean, (laughs) the breakfast sausage guy. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking of somebody else. No, not James Dean. Jimmy Dean. I actually think there might have been a mistake in the casting room. It's Jimmy Dean. So they put the breakfast sausage guy in a movie. And surprisingly, he's one of the better parts of the movie. But that's not for this week. That's for next week. I'm looking forward to that one. On Favorite Things with Mark. (laughs) Thank you guys for coming in, sticking around with us for a while. We hope you'll come back next week. And hopefully we won't be quite as full or slap happy. Yes. See, See you next week. Bye.